What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Stocks recent run taking a pause with the Dow snapping a five-day win streak. But could the ride get a little bumpier thanks to action in the options market? Jay Powell and the Fed not ready to ease up on the fight against inflation, but the central bank suggesting it could be more flexible when it comes to his rate hike strategy. What in retail investors giveth, Ryan Cohen taketh away. Bed Bath & Beyond shares diving as the GameStop chairman looks to bail on the struggling retailer. Healthcare sticker shock, the huge price increase one state is going after around health insurance. And could a big tax change in the Inflation Reduction Act actually hurt electric car sales? It just might. I'll show you why. Coming up on this Thursday, August 18th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Great to be back with you. Let us dive right in and kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. Stock futures, well, they're not giving us a lot of indication, but if anything, they are slightly down. Dow futures down 10 points right now. NASDAQ down a little bit more, about one-tenth of 1%. Why don't we be generous? It's early and call that flat, shall we? After a big two-month run, stocks have not moved a lot this week. It is summer, after all. But that could all change tomorrow and really maybe today because of options. This is options expiration week and most expire today going into Friday. That could increase volatility. Just something to consider over the next 48 trading hours. Let's also check the bond market. The 10-year yields at 2.88%. Yields moved a little bit higher on the back of the latest Fed minutes, which was seen as slightly more dovish maybe than some might have earlier predicted. In the oil market, crude is sticking around the $88 a barrel mark. We've got a guest coming up who says that a return to over 100 bucks or even 125 a barrel could certainly happen. We'll find out why. Also, watching gasoline. Gasoline demand, once again, very, very high last week. Remember, there had been some hope that higher prices would cut demand, but maybe as prices dropped, demand popped again. And in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether relatively flat. Bitcoin standing at 23300 and change right now. The coins all slightly higher across the board. As always, more in our markets in a moment. But first, let's do what the show name says and go worldwide. Jumana Brissetti is in our London newsroom <laughs> with a look at the early trade and headlines out of Europe. Good morning, Jumana. Morning, Brian. So today the picture for European equities is slightly more positive. Remember yesterday we had that very deep session of losses. The stock 600 ending the day about nine-tenths of a percentage point weaker. Today you can see there is a lot more green on the board. With the exception of the FTSE 100 in the UK, that is down about a tenth of a percentage point. Remember we had those monster CPI prints come through yesterday. 10.1 percentage points. So it is having ramifications, especially when you think about what the Bank of England are going to have to do next. That's going to have a knock-on effect on everything from banks to insurers to uh, the construction industry in the UK. Kekahont and Zetradax 
Uh, both up nicely today, up three-tenths of a percentage point, four-tenths of a percentage point, respectively. Some commentary coming through this morning from ECB member Schnabel saying that inflation in the short term could accelerate and that inflation concerns have not been alleviated. So, again, we're getting some hawkishness come through from the ECB now. Uh, clearly, that is going to have an impact as well on the direction of travel for some of these European economies. But in terms of sectors, this is the breakdown. We've got, uh, well, these are some of the names that we're looking at, individual stocks. Uh, Adyen is the payments provider in Netherlands, down 11 percentage points. We had the CFO on the show a little earlier. He was talking about rising operating expenses, very common theme. And then up at the top, some other industrial names as well. That is the picture for Europe. I will throw it back to you. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. Now to some big headlines that you need to know about stateside, including two big pieces of lawsuit-related news happening this morning. Bertha Coombs is here with those. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Brian. A federal appeals court has ruled that a pair of lawsuits against oil companies over their alleged roles in climate change will be decided in state court rather than federal court. The decision on the lawsuits by Delaware and Hoboken, New Jersey, is the latest by an appeals court ruling that state court is the proper venue for the legal action. The suits by Delaware and Hoboken are among two dozen filed by states and cities against companies, including ExxonMobil, Chevrolet, and Shell. The companies have denied liability in the cases and have sought to resolve the disputes in federal courts. Meantime, a federal judge in Ohio has ordered Walmart, CVS, and Walgreens must pay a combined $650 million to two counties in that state for damages related to the opioid crisis. That payment will be made over the next 15 years. All three companies were found liable last November for their role in the opioid epidemic in both Ohio counties. Pharmacies were found to have abused their position of special trust and responsibility as registered dispensers of controlled drugs. We're seeing this in a number of states. Meantime, shares of China's largest property group falling in overseas trading following its warning of a profit slump. Country Garden says that first half earnings likely fell as much as 70 percent. It cited a decrease in property sales amid a market downturn and a slowdown in construction for the expected drop. Brian? All right, Bertha Coombs, thank you very much, and we'll see you in a few minutes. Appreciate it. All right. The Federal Reserve, meantime, is seeing interest rate hikes continuing until inflation is reduced significantly. The minutes from the July meeting show support for another three quarters of one percent or 75 basis point rate hike, with many of the Fed heads giving the green light for tightening monetary policy until inflation is back below the Fed's desired two percent level. But the Fed does indicate the pacing of these hikes will depend on the market environment. What does that all mean for stocks and your money? Joining us now is Kevin Caron. He is Senior Portfolio Manager at Washington Crossing Advisors. Kevin, it's good to have you back on. 2% inflation. That could take, yeah, good morning. That could take years, could it not? Sure. Where there is no clear, there is no clear answer when the Fed is going to be done doing what they're doing. And so what we're doing at Washington Crossing is preparing for a world that's going to be different than in the past. For most of most of my career anyway, we've had the Fed providing a backstop, if you will, to the market, always able to turn to rate cuts to stimulate things. But for the first time in maybe 30 years, we're in a situation where the Fed 
simply doesn't have that kind of ammunition to go to as easily because with inflation running where it is, for them to step in and do more by way of, let's say, another round of quantitative easing, expanding their balance sheet, significant cuts in interest rates, that would be running at cross purposes to what they're trying to achieve with inflation. So we're in a new regime here. The market is trying to sort this all out. And that's why we have so many cross currents in the data we're seeing this year. Is there a risk they get too aggressive now and overshoot? Of course there is. Uh, We're seeing not only the Fed, but central banks around the world looking to tighten. But if you look at where real interest rates are, so in other words, subtract the inflation rate from the short rate, what you would actually conclude is that the Federal Reserve is quite accommodative here. It's not really all that tight. So in the 1970s and early 80s, when we were running at significant double-digit inflation, Paul Volcker had to raise interest rates well above the inflation rate to really get tight and accommodative. With inflation running at 9%, you can just do the math. We would have to have interest rates pretty close to 10% in order to do that, and we're nowhere near there. So the hope for the market is that we get a little bit of a a bend in the inflation curve on a forward basis, and that that takes that tail risk out of the market that the Fed would have to get excessively tight here. But we're nowhere near that yet. So we need to be cautious in our allocation and we need to be focusing on companies that could survive if things do get more difficult. When when you say the word difficult, Kevin, what do you mean? Well, what we're talking about is a market that's valued in the United States at about uh, $46 trillion. So if you had to consider a bad case, and and this is not our base case, but you do have to consider a bad case. So the economy is currently... Uh, about $22, $23 trillion. If you're at $46 trillion, you're roughly uh, two times the overall GDP. So you still have a market that's relatively expensive. Now, the good news, and so there could be relatively significant uh, downside if if the Fed had to get real tight and the value of the stock market came back into line with the size of the underlying economy. But to get there... You would really need to see profits break down. And the good news here and why we're not calling for the worst case scenario is that profits have really held up very well. But things are changing and we need to just be cautious for the fact that uh, we still have relatively high historic valuations and we are entering a new regime here in terms of monetary policy. So there's just a lot of uncertainty and we just have to be a little bit careful about that. Are are valuations overall priced for a recession right now, Kevin? Or if we do get a significant slowdown, do valuations need to come down even more than they have? Yeah, no, uh, no, no. The market is not priced. No, the market is not priced for recession. In fact, uh, since the beginning of the summer, the curve inverted uh, in the early part of the summer, an inverted curve where short rates are above long rates is typically a harbinger of a recession. Um, But what we have seen since the beginning of the summer, weirdly, is that the stock market has actually gotten a little lift out of it. We've had a little bit of a rally here. But pull this covers back a little further. Look under that. What has been leading this summer has been high quality companies. Uh, Our index of A quality companies at Washington Crossing, that index is is up since the beginning of June when the bond market really got concerned about recession. And Low-quality stocks, those would be ones with high debt, low profits, very cyclical-type companies, those have underperformed. So even though we've had a rally, 
the constitution of that rally has shifted away from more speculative, risky companies to more tried and true, uh, high quality companies. And you could interpret that as a market that is actually a little, little bit cautious about the future, even as it rallies here through the summer. So we're not out of the woods yet. Okay. Um, but we are happy. We are happy to see that the profit picture has held up. And as long as that's the case, we're not going to be looking for the worst case scenario. That's been some decent news. Kevin, we'll get you back on again soon and dive a little deeper into some of those high-quality names. Kevin, you're our high-quality. We appreciate getting up early for us, my friend. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, we have got a lot to do on this busy Thursday. And when we come back, China's scorching heat wave leading to electricity rationing and even some big companies having to shut down operations. Yunus Yun will join us with the latest. Plus, this morning's big money movers and why investors are howling over shares of one chip maker. That's your hint. Howling, there's your chart. Any guesses? It's a hard one. And later on, Amazon turning to the competition, trying to poach a few good leaders to build out its movie and TV business. High-profile names, high on its radar. Wex returns. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The market doesn't joke around. So why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let's go now to China, because while they are still dealing with shutdowns due to their zero COVID policy, now the people face another big problem, heat waves, scorching temperatures, drying up water supplies and cutting crucial sources for hydropower. That is leading to electricity rationing in some areas and forcing a growing number of global manufacturers to halt production at their factories. Let's talk about it more right now with Eunice Yoon. Eunice, uh, how hot is it? How bad has it been? It's really hot. Some of the temperatures in the country have reached 110 degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, the country has had issued um, red alerts uh, from the weekend, which means that these numbers, that these temperatures are are well above 100 degrees. Now, the country is uh, warning now that these droughts could last through September uh, because uh, Beijing is uh, battling some of the most severe Heat waves that it's seen since 1961, these temperatures have been parching provinces all along the uh, country's longest river. So that's the Yangtze River. And that has been prompting authorities to find emergency measures to deal to ensure water supplies, such as, for example, seeding the clouds, uh, uh, discharging more water from the Three Gorges Dam, and then transferring more water to the most uh, drought-stricken areas. Now, the um, areas that uh, are most affected are in the southwest as well as the central part of the country. And that part of the country 
uh, is very heavily reliant on hydropower and is also home to big suppliers of multinational companies such as Intel, Apple, as well as Tesla. Uh, the um, officials there have been calling on factories to uh, limit their electrical usage. Uh, they want um, the uh, production to be to be uh, cut uh, uh, at least until next Wednesday, Brian. Yeah, I mean, this is happening in Europe as well. It's been really, truly incredible what's going on around the planet. So how are some of the companies coping with power rationing? I mean, exactly how do they manage it? We talked about this in Germany, like how will you actually implement it? And none seem to be sure how are companies there doing it? Well, uh, some of the companies have it easy in that their authorities literally will tell them, like, you cannot use uh, power uh, for this time to this time. And so then there is this uh, power rationing that's being imposed on uh, certain companies, uh, such as Foxconn, for example, saying that they are going to suspend production uh, and comply uh, for uh, several days. Uh, Toyota said the same. CATL, which is a big uh, lithium battery supplier for Tesla, um, also uh, saying the same. Uh, but then there are other companies that are looking for creative ways to maintain some of the capacity. So we've been hearing about companies building solar panels on their rooftops so that they could take advantage of the sunshine uh, during the day and then keep some of those production lines going. Um, so, so there are some people trying to, to figure out ways, um, including yeah. uh, renting a, a lot of power generators in that area as well. Wow. Well, the odd thing about solar is that when it's really super hot like that, it actually decreases its efficiency. Solar operates best at about 80 degrees Fahrenheit and then tends to taper off at extreme heat. How are people dealing with it? We see that it's obviously raining behind you. It's got to be, I mean, just swampy and gross, Eunice, if it's raining and that hot. It, 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 it is. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, people deal with it all over the place. But in that specific area of the country... Um, the, the government has said that the reason why they're calling on the factories to take part with the power rationing is because they want residences to have power uh, to the most, for the most part. So they're prioritizing the homes. However, the power rationing has been extended to offices, to uh, malls, as well as to residential areas now. So um, they're, on, on the one hand, they're saying that um, people need to kind of take part, like they're trying to encourage people to be part of this big conservation campaign. But you mentioned 80 degrees. I thought that was interesting because offices and homes, people are being told, you must set your air conditioning at a maximum of 78.8 degrees. And then also no one can use elevators. They're discouraged from using the elevators what? instead of taking the stairs. Yeah. So you might get hot though, right? So it's like you get to your home after yeah, 30 they, flights and then you think, oh, thank God, I could turn on the air conditioning. Oh, no, it's at 80 degrees. <laughs> they're, they're, they're telling people to basically keep it, you know, not hot, but warm inside their building. And, oh, by the way, take the stairs 20 levels or whatever it might be in some of those huge Beijing skyscrapers. After COVID zero and all the stuff that's still going on with lockdowns, Eunice, I, I, I'm going to send you like a giant, I don't know, bouquet of flowers or something we appreciate all you do and you just i hope you live on like the second floor eunice thank you you know I, eunice thank you all right eunice is the best been dealing with just so much over there for so long you can see they're still masked up people are still it's just it's an it's an aggressive 
uh, aggressive policing of the masks, shall we say. All right. Still on deck. Call it bed, bath, and bye-bye. The latest moves by one key investor that have traders cashing out. We are back in a moment. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories that are happening right now. Let's go. Stock number one, Cisco Systems. Its fourth quarter results beat forecasts, and it is giving a positive outlook for sales this quarter. Company says that after a challenging spring due to COVID-related shutdowns in Shanghai, supply chain issues have been easing. Send Cisco up more than four percent. By the way, the CEO Chuck Robbins will be exclusively on Squawk on the Street in an exclusive interview, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Stock number two is our mystery chart, Wolf Speed. Get it? Why we said howling? This is the company formerly known as Cree. You may know that name. Chipmaker reporting a smaller fourth-quarter loss as revenue beat forecast. Thank the strong demand. WolfSpeed is also giving upbeat guidance for the first quarter. That stock up 21%. You go, WolfSpeed. And stock number three, and this is a big name, that is Bed Bath & Beyond. Shares right now down about 12%, but that after surging nearly 50% yesterday. Get this, board member Ryan Cohen filing to sell possibly his entire stake in the company. Let's repeat that. He may sell his entire stake. Cohen, you might remember, is also the chairman of fellow meme stock GameStop. And his Bed Bath & Beyond's second biggest investor, that stock. I mean, always volatile, and that should continue today. All right, still on deck. The United States and Taiwan taking new steps to tighten ties. We'll give you details on the new moves, which could make Beijing even angrier. And just a general reminder, as always, follow our podcast. You missed the show, we get it. It's on all the major podcasting platforms. Dow futures just turn into the green. Good Thursday morning. We're back right after this. Could the stock market's big recent run and recent calm be done? What is happening today and tomorrow it could bring some sellers back in. Oil sticking under 90 bucks a barrel, but is a run back to 125 just around the corner? King operating CEO Jay Young lays out why it could. And some potentially severe sticker shock of what you pay for health care in one state could be going way up. We'll tell you the state and what's happening on this Thursday, August 18th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome, welcome back, and good Thursday morning, everybody. Having a great start to your day, or end if you're watching from Asia or Australia. Hello. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. Kick off the half hour, I should say. Stock futures, they just turned a little bit positive. Not going to make too much of it. We're up 13 points. Anything can happen. But still, we are in the green right now. Now, overall, stocks have not moved a whole lot this week after a nice two-month run. Of course, it is summer. But that could change today and tomorrow because of options. This is options expiration week, and most expire today going into Friday. Remember, market structure, that is something that we have talked a lot about on this program, has gotten a little bit, eh, Weird since the bull market began. 
As Market IR's Tim Quas notes, the volume of stocks on the short side has dropped off massively since the end of June. That has kept volatility in check because it's easier to buy stocks than it is to short them. But coming into a new options month, it is possible, not saying it will, but it's possible that that positioning on Wall Street flips, which could then raise volatility and send stocks back lower. Again, does not mean it will. But with volatility being very low, short sellers being flushed out of the market, and tomorrow being a reset for the monthly options, you never know what could happen if that big hedge fund positioning decides to flip back. Just something to put in the back of that big brain of yours right there. All right, now let's get back to Bertha, who's here with more big headlines that are happening on this Thursday, including some big moves by Amazon to try to build up its TV and movie business. Bertha. Hey, Brian. So the U.S. is announcing overnight that it's going to begin formal trade talks with Taiwan. That's our top headline at this half hour. The Office of the U.S. Trade Representative saying the first round of talks are expected to begin early this fall with a focus on matters including trade facilitation, digital trade, and anti-corruption standards. Officials from Taiwan also saying China's economic coercion would also be discussed. This initiative was initially announced back in June. China has said that it firmly opposes the new trade initiative. Penn Entertainment is buying the remaining shares of Barstool Sports that it doesn't already own. In a regulatory filing, Penn revealed it exercised call rights, giving its full control of the sports and pop culture company. The casino operator says it will compete, complete the purchase of the remaining Barstool shares by February. And Amazon is apparently looking to some of its streaming competitors to bolster its entertainment division, otherwise known as poaching. According to the Wall Street Journal, the company has held talks with several Hollywood leaders in its search for a senior movie studio exec to lead the division. The journal says that includes conversations with Netflix head Scott Stuber, as well as former Paramount Pictures executive Emma Watts. Amazon, of course, closed its $6.5 billion deal for MGM and subsequently saw two executives depart for Warner Brothers Discovery. A lot of movement happening in Hollywood, Brian. I'm sure there is a lot of talk around the water cooler as to who's going to land where. It's, it's an historical time to be a content creator. I mean, if you've even produced a couple of mediocre to mildly successful shows... You might just get like a hundred million dollar deal, Bertha. You, we got to talk. Let's 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 talk after the show. We got to come. Up, we're smart. We'll come up with something. You know what I mean? We can figure it out. Let's do it. Yeah, put our put our thinking right, caps gonna, on. Yeah, exactly. And maybe our money caps on, if you know what I mean. Bertha, we'll see in a few minutes. Really interesting story on Connecticut healthcare coming up with Bertha in just a couple of minutes. All right, right now though, let us talk oil because as you know. There's been some relief at the gas pump over the past two months. Oil prices, while still well above pre-pandemic levels, have come down a little bit since spring. But that could all change going into fall. Demand for gasoline still remains very high. With millions of Americans potentially hitting the road and going back to the office three, four, even five days a week, it could pop even more. Combine that with American production not rising very quickly, and America now actually exporting a ton of oil, that could be the recipe for higher prices. Talk more now about all of this with Jay Young. He is the CEO of King Operating Corp, an independent oil and gas producer. Jay, good to have you back on. 
when I saw some of the oil export numbers, I kind of had to do a double take because, uh, I, I, you know, we've always exported some oil since they legalized it a couple of years ago. But it's actually amazing how much oil we are actually selling outside of America now. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we're getting back there to that importing, but we're also producing more oil, but we're still not where we need to be. Our rig count in the United States is 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 still not where we need to be. We're up 50% from last year, but that doesn't mean that we're out of the out of the woods. I mean, we're we still need to continue our 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 drilling in the United States. Our governments are need to get behind us more and talk about content. If you need content, there is a lot of content for for drilling for oil and gas in the United States. There's a lot of content with federal governments, you know, that need our our support. We need our state governments to continue on. I mean, there's just so much information right now that 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 is not out there yeah. that's that's proactive if you will, right about, you know, trying to produce oil and gas and trying to get back and two, you know, I mean even though we are drilling for oil and gas now, we've got to keep up with the inventory. You know, we've got to drill like 2,000 wells a year in the Permian Basin to keep at our production because once once the drilling stops or if it levels off, we need to continue drilling because wells do decrease in production. I don't think people understand. You know, even though we're back to drilling and we look like we're there, I mean, demand could just kill us right now. If our demand goes up a lot, well, there's a, we there's don't a have lot, the oil yeah. necessary. There's a, there's a lot of content to your point, Jay, and I don't want to get into the politics of it because it's too doggone early for that. But, you know, obviously a lot of people say, oh, all the leases and why aren't they drilling? And they make it sound so easy. And with all due respect to anybody, it's, it's not that easy. And I hope to come out, by the way, to West Texas in late September, maybe even early October, and tell more of this story that just because you've got a lease doesn't mean you've got a permit. And even if you got a permit, doesn't mean you have people. And if you got people, doesn't mean you have frac sand or water or a way to get the oil out, does it? There are a ton of hurdles that still exist. Still is. Yeah, exactly, Brian. And when you talk about the type of money that's needed, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars that is needed to drill for oil and gas, you need the people. You know, and I've always said there's four reasons why we're not producing. I mean, it's number one, federal governments, you know, that, that are keeping us from drilling. There's state governments that keep us from getting permits. I mean, we, we, we're getting permits in Wyoming, trying to. It's harder in Wyoming and Colorado compared to Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. I got a permit in Texas not long ago. It takes me about a week. In Wyoming, it takes two, three months. But also the public companies. There's still a lot of people on public companies that are on the boards and they're saying, we don't want you to drill for oil and gas. We want you to give those profits back to us. We're not putting that, I mean, there was like record profits last last quarter, 31 billion by the top three. And all of a sudden, are they back to drilling? No. And that's what normally happens in a, in a situation like this when you have, you know, companies making so much money in the oil and gas business, they put that money back to work in the, it, to drilling, and then, and then all of a sudden your supply comes back. That's what normally happens in a cycle. This is an anomaly where we're not seeing that. We're seeing quite opposite, you know, where companies are putting money back in, into buying more stock. They're doing uh, shares to yeah. dividends to investors instead of doing what they normally do, which is, you know, drill for oil and gas. 
you know, so the, the capital well, a couple not years ago, a couple years ago, the industry was effectively being. Yeah, a couple of years ago, the industry is effectively told to wind down. It's over. And now people are wondering why they're not producing more oil. I, you know, it's it doesn't seem that hard to figure it out. A lot of people leaving the industry because they're feeling, well, if my if my industry is dead and being told to go away, I better find a new job in, in something else. That's maybe a longer term issue in the short term. Jay, what do you see happening with oil prices, I, I see it going back to $100, $100 a barrel, $120 a barrel. I mean, we're not seeing the, the supply that we need that'll meet the demand when our demand starts going up. We've had a couple of you know inflationary periods. We've had some China COVID issues. Those kind of issues bring our demand down. When it brings demand down and we have an oversupply, obviously the prices are coming down. But as you see this morning, prices are coming back. I, I see... You know, by the end of the year, we can see $120, $125. I mean, it's just we, we, we're not doing the things necessary in a market like this to keep the price down. We need support from the governments. We need we need more capital. You know, a lot of, a lot of institutions are not bringing the capital back like they were before. You know, so we need that money. We need support. We need all the things necessary so we could continue drilling for oil in the United States because it does take – Supply and like I mentioned, I mean we're an anomaly. Yeah. Normally in a cycle, you see this, and where people start drilling for oil and oversupply the demand, and prices will come down. But you're not seeing it this time, Brian. So we're we're in for some higher oil prices, yeah. which will affect everything because gasoline obviously does affect you know everything from people going out to restaurants to everything that's transported uh, by cars and trucks. You know, prices are going to be higher. And gasoline demand remains very, very high. Had one week where it kind of dipped. But other than that, it's been very, very high, according to the federal government's own data. Jay Young, King Operating Corporate. Appreciate it, Jay. Important views. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, coming up, your morning RBI and how the president's big climate law could actually hurt electric car sales. But as we head to break, some of your top trending stories right now, speaking of electric cars... Dodge pulling back the curtain on its electrified muscle car. It has unveiled a new concept that is all electric. There it is, good looking car. All this is Dodge says it is winding down its current gas powered Challenger and Charger vehicles. Apple reportedly setting the date for the formal unveiling of its new iPhone. Bloomberg reporting the event will happen on September 7th. Report adds the company may also announce Apple Watch updates, including a new higher end and more rugged model of the watch and papa john's getting trolled a bit online for its latest menu offering company unveiling something called a pizza bowl it's all the cheese and fixings of a pizza with none of the crust you can try one for yourself when they go on sale on monday what do you think folks doesn't that sort of defeat the whole point of a pizza isn't the dough the entire thing what say you we're back in a moment. All right, welcome back. I'm back, and so is the RBI. And today, let's get random but interesting on some of the hottest topics around. That is climate change, emissions, and electric cars. They kind of all go together, and money sort of holds them all together. Of course, money is a huge part of the Biden climate and healthcare spending package that we just signed into law. Hundreds of billions of dollars for lower emissions energy sources. That is some good news, especially when you layer on that even before the bill was passed, Many were predicting a pretty steep drop in carbon emissions. Take Goldman Sachs, for example. 
A recent report says they saw a drop of about 37% for carbon emissions over the next 10 to 15 years. That's before the law was passed. And while that is still below President Biden's goal of a 50% drop, it would still be pretty good. Here's how Goldman sees it playing out. The steepest drop comes from that blue line at the bottom, which is emissions from coal, effectively going to zero. Natural gas on the, stays high on the bottom, rather. But gasoline emissions, which is the middle part of that chart, there's a lot going on there, folks, goes down because a big part of the emissions drop estimates is expectations that electric car sales really boom in years to come. Goldman's auto analysts recently raised their forecast to 6 million electric vehicles sold in America from 2025 to 2030. It's about 1.2 million per year. That would be about 7% of every car and truck sold in America. It's not great, but it's not terrible. But is even that estimate at risk? Well, very quietly tucked away in the Inflation Reduction Act is a provision that kills the $7,500 tax credit for certain EVs, depending on their price points and cars that are made mostly outside of the United States. It is hard to believe, but it is true. Now, it's designed to be probably a carrot or maybe a stick for the foreign car makers to bring more production to America and also to boost sales of American-made electric vehicles. But here's the problem right now. Many U.S.-made EVs are now too expensive to be covered under that tax credit. They cost more than $80,000. That's the cutoff. Mineral prices, of course, have surged in recent years. Now, right now, most electric vehicle buyers tend to be more well-off. So will this tax credit going away really matter? Well, there's only one way to find out. We asked you in a Twitter poll earlier this week if losing that $7,500 credit would impact either the EV you buy or whether you buy an electric car at all. And holy tailpipes, Batman, look at these responses. 15% of you said the loss of the credit won't matter at all. That's good news. You'd still buy an electric car. Makes sense. Most EV buyers are higher income. But 15% of you said, yeah, the loss of that credit may change the brand or model of EV you buy. 17% said, now you won't buy an EV at all. It may have changed your thinking. But look at the bottom. More than half of you said your next car is going to be gas-powered regardless of this. Now, I'm not sure that's what Detroit, which is spending hundreds of billions on selling you an entirely new type of car, wants to hear. Now, we do realize that our polls will probably have a selection bias. It's going to be people who follow us or watch CNBC or follow me. But even if that poll is close to how others around America feel, EV sales could have a much harder time than many people think. Even Goldman Sachs, perhaps. Random and hopefully thought-provoking. All right. Officials in Connecticut are being pressured to reject a proposal from insurance companies that could send costs for health care plans skyrocketing. Under that proposal, rates on individual plans could jump by 20 percent. But it's not just residents of the nutmeg state facing rising costs for health insurance. Bertha Coombs has much more on that. And Bertha, you cover this. You're, you're from the Northeast. I saw the story online the other day. I did a double take. I sent it to you. I'm glad you're covering this. This is a uh, this would be a massive hike. 
Yeah, we haven't seen a big hike like this since uh, 2017. But insurers are asking for hefty premium increases across the country on the ACA exchanges, citing inflation. The national average for 2023 ACA rate requests is for an increase of just over 8 percent. The state's in the light blue, according to analyst Charles Gaba of ACA signups. But about a dozen states, take a look at those orange states, insurers there are asking for double-digit rate hikes. And in the ones in red, like New York and Connecticut, they're requesting about 20 percent on average. Idaho is the outlier in dark blue, with insurers actually proposing a 3 percent rate cut on average. Insurers are citing higher prices from physician groups and hospitals, which are facing wage pressures for those increases. Regulators are likely going to push back. You're not going to see as big an increase as they're they're asking for. But also bear in mind, Brian, that subsidies will bring premium costs down for the majority of people who buy on exchange. And the Inflation Reduction Act has extended subsidies for high higher income customers that were instituted during the pandemic, and they'll be seeing those for the next three years. So some of that sticker shock will not follow through to the individuals themselves. And I know those subsidies you mentioned were actually one of the most urgent parts of that Inflation Reduction Act. That A lot of other stuff was in there, but this one, the one, the expiring subsidies. But I guess, Bertha, if you work for a company like ours, maybe you work for GE up in Boston or United Technologies or ESPN or whoever it might be, if you get your insurance from your employer, does this mean your premiums? I mean, they've been going up every year anyway, but but could have another pop? Yeah. No, the larger, depending, the smaller employers are in the same boat because they're buying in that smaller individual market. But the larger employers generally are self-insured, so they underwrite the risk, so they're able to mitigate costs better. So uh, Mercer, which is a benefits uh, firm, says that most large employers are looking at an average increase of about 5.6% for next year, which is bigger than they've seen over the last couple of years, but certainly much more manageable manageable than double-digit sticker shock. The other good news is that for seniors, there are actually going to be a couple of breaks next year. Uh, Because of the Inflation Reduction Act, there are a few things that are going to be happening in the Medicare Part D section for buying drugs. So they're going to get a $2,000 cap on out-of-pocket spending, a $35 cap on insulin co-pays. That was a big one that was negotiated, and no co-pays on vaccines. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, uh, Medicare folks had to pay out-of-pocket co-pays for vaccines. Still, you know, I, I, some good news that it won't all get passed through, but Bertha, it, it was shocking, that headline, that they even <laughs> propose it is a shocking. 20% raise. It right? is I mean, shocking. It's, it's galling. 20 percent? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Connecticut in particular, small market on the exchange, only three insurers. So one of them is only asking for about eight and a half percent. The others are asking for a lot more. Only. Only. Well, the good news is they've got great roads, (laughs) low electricity costs. And oh, wait a minute. Sorry. Okay. Bertha Coombs, thank you. An important story there. (laughs) Wow. 20 percent proposal. All right on deck. Stocks. We're going to regain momentum after snapping their win streak. Where do we go from here? Well, your next guest says it may be bonds that hold the key. Stick around. All right, let's talk more about these markets. And your next guest says some of the big questions that you need to think about are this. 
Is the bond market too cautious or is the stock market being too optimistic? It is a good question. Eric Bailey is the managing director at uh, Stewart Partners Global Advisory and joins us now. Uh, it does appear, Eric, that the stock market, at least lately, and the bond market are telling two very different stories. Who are you listening to? Hey, Brian, good morning. Yeah, I think investors need to look at both uh, carefully. Uh, you know, the stock market optimism we've seen since the June lows has been, as you stated, very impressive. But on the other hand, you see the bond markets and this significant inversion between short and long-term bonds tell a different story, really saying, you know, a recession is imminent and investors should be cautious. I lean kind of, you know, a more optimistic. Uh, the equity markets have really uh, have really proven that investors are, are more confident with what the Fed is doing and that the economy so far is slowing, but not at a pace that signifies, you know, real deep concerns like the bond market is is, is indicating. Yeah, you know, and these yield curves, of course, people will joke and be a little cynical, Eric, to say, well, they predicted nine of the last four recessions. I get that point. They're, they're good indicators. They're not perfect. Nothing, by the way, nothing, by the way, is. But, you know, even with this run, some valuations on big companies like a J&J or Chevron, I think some names that you're interested in, valuations have come back down. Even if we get more of an economic slowdown over the next 12 months, are certain companies priced for that appropriately? Yeah, great question. I mean, that's why I like total return equities. You know, companies that are going to pay uh, strong balance sheets are going to pay you dividends because to ride out this uncertainty that is still very prevalent in the markets. So companies like Chevron, Broadcom, Johnson & Johnson pay nearly a 3%, you know, close to a 3% or more dividend yield, which is the same as a, as a two-year treasury. So it's worth holding these great companies to ride through you know, this uncertain environment, because we're going to get, I think we're going to get headwinds, right? We're heading into September, historically a more challenging month for the equity markets. We have a few more weeks of this uh, summer type trading. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely uh, recommending to our clients to stay, you know, stay the course in equities, yeah. but with total return investments. Quickly, biggest risk to the market right now is what? I think unexpected uh, Fed policy, right? I think investors have gotten confident with what the Fed has done the last few months with the rate hikes, with their language that they've come out with. I think if we see unexpected uh, policy by the Fed, uh, that uh, that would shake the markets. Also, uh, unexpected economic news, yeah. real significant slowdown, right? If we see real slowdown that we haven't seen yet, that would be a big concern. I think the equity markets would take a significant drop there. And inflation, yeah. clearly, right? Um, well, is also we, we've got, issue. listen, with the Fed, Eric, <laughs> with the Fed, we've got uh, the Fed's Jackson Hole meeting coming up here in uh, just over a week. Steve Leesman will be there. That is a big one. And you talk about maybe a Fed shift. If it's going to come, it could come in the bucolic vistas of Jackson Hole with Steve. Eric Bailey, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Have a great day. Folks, always appreciate you tuning in to Worldwide Exchange, whether you're watching us live now or listening to the podcast a few hours from now. Maybe you watched this show yesterday. Is that possible? I don't know. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk and the Gang are next. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 